Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Saturday, April 16th, 2022. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, will be released in September 2022 and can now be pre-ordered on Amazon. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Hi. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. So, how is everybody making their way through just uh, two weeks left before mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the, the end of everything opening up? Well, it's, it's, it's quite busy. <laughs> it is quite busy. And uh, uh, let's just jump into our reviews because Peter went outside the borough uh, down to BAM to see Cyrano, which is getting a lot of buzz. Peter, is it worthy of all the buzz that it's getting? Well, uh, it can either be described as a deconstruction or uh, the subject of a wrecking ball, uh, depending on how you look at it. This <laughs> is n- not Cyrano de Bergerac as we've always known it. Um, it's funny that back in the, I think, late 19th century, maybe a little later, but there was a parody called Cyrano de Bric-a-Brac. <laughs> and um, while this isn't quite a parody, it does uh, take a number of liberties, as Martin Crimp um, and Jamie Lloyd, the director, um, Martin did the writing, it, it it's not Rostan's uh, writing at all, and there are times when it will drive you crazy, especially at the beginning. Seriously, my girlfriend Linda left after twelve minutes. Oh, um, because it was uh, just rat a tat tat tat. Not rap exactly, but it really was frenetic talking. Um, there, there's no set to speak of, and uh, there they are with microphones. Talk, even though they have mic packs in their bodies, um, on their bodies, I guess I should say. But the thing is that um, they do use microphones um, in the handheld mics uh, quite a bit, quite a bit. So uh, it can drive you crazy at the beginning. And really understood, I thought, oh, Lord, this is two hours and 40 minutes and it's going to be like this. Um, but there are many, many perceptions that 
Rostand or uh, any of the translators have never made, uh, to my knowledge, which I think make it most interesting. I think Linda made a mistake. It did calm down after that, by the way. There were sequences where, again, got rat-a-tat-tat people talking uh, all too quickly and like crazy. But, um, for example, we've always seen um, uh, Cyrano uh, upset with uh, Montfleury, the actor on stage, thinking he stinks, and you you have to get off the stage. Uh, I don't want you up there. You, You cannot perform. And, of course, he has no right to do that. But here we're told the motivation is the fact that the actor was looking at Roxanne, the woman he loves, and he was, this is a quote, uh, undressing her with her, his eyes. <laughs> so it was a case of um, his feeling that he is uh, protecting Roxanne's honor in a strange sort of way. So that makes it a little more interesting. The famous thing about his killing 100 men, uh, which alone, I mean, that has always seemed a little strange to me, a lot strange, actually. Well, here we get the implication that it was exaggerated, uh, which makes it um, very, very much uh, believable to me. Um, he's 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 a hothead. He he really quite is. And yet, after Roxanne um, says to him, "I've got this uh, person um, that I love, and um, he's a soldier," and he starts thinking it's he. Um, after that, he cries at the idea that uh, he's lost the love of his life. That she's not going to. Um, it's not going to happen. So remember, he's uh, he's a poet as well. And uh, there's talk about publishing his work. And he says he won't have it uh, butchered, uh, much like um, Norman Desmond says. Uh, he won't allow edits at all. Um, but some of this comes across in this production as a result of his being rebuffed by Ross. Well, not rebuffed, of course, but um, that she doesn't see him as a love object. By the way, there's no no's whatsoever. Um, that everybody is dressed in um, conventional uh, contemporary clothing, even though the first image that you see is on the scrim where it says 1640. <laughs> now, if it's 1640, I have no idea why there's a reference to Steve Martin's movie Roxanne. So uh, there are plenty of other anachronisms, too. And while most people hate puns and groan at them, I groan at anachronisms. So I had problems with that um, quite a bit here. So um, what about Christian? You know, um, know, it's always amazed me that he has been so glib in um, so many ways. And yet uh, he he can't talk to Roxanne. At least we get the explanation here. Uh, Many of us have inferred the fact that there are some people who can talk very well with men and they can't do it with women. But he he says it here and um, and that's uh, straightens that out. So that's um, that's very good as well. So I will tell you this. Um, yes, no question that we have a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous performance here by James McAvoy as Cyrano de Bergerac, but Evelyn Miller as Roxanne. Now, this is a Roxanne who doesn't wind up in a convent, and frankly, she shouldn't, considering the language she uses. Uh, the F word is used quite a bit in her vocabulary, quite a bit indeed. So, um, that's really something that's surprising, but it's a great galvanic Postmortem performance doesn't seem like 1640, but one of the most interesting things about it is when indeed she finds out, as Cerno um, reveals that he wrote the letters at the end of the show. Spoiler alert! I'm sorry. Um, she's furious. 
And that's a perfectly valid reaction when you think of it. She's been duped. And um, in, in, in the uh, traditional Cyrano's, uh, she's very understanding. Well, uh, needless to say, there is a, a case to be made that she wouldn't be as understanding here. Now, the thing that has always bothered me about Cyrano de Bergerac is the famous balcony scene where Christiane first encounters um, Roxanne uh, after he has written the letters. Now, traditionally, Roxanne is on a balcony and Christiane is below. And he starts talking and he says, I love you. And she wants more than that. She wants eloquence. She wants the eloquence that Cyrano has put in the letters. There was a little Dear Evan Hansen in the show, isn't there? Or a little Cyrano and Dear Evan Hansen, I guess we could say. Anyway, so um, he's Christian starts talking and he's not doing a good job. So Cyrano takes over. And it's always been a case of, wait a minute, she can't tell there's a different voice. I mean, she knows Cyrano. I mean, I'm, I've always waited for her to say, Cyrano, is that you? Um, no, um, that's never happened. Here, at least, we do hear Cyrano mutter to Christiane the words, and Christiane repeats them. Um, it's still a little hard to believe. I'm going to segue away from this to say something about a production of Cyrano the Bergerac that I thought was magnificent. Um, Jeff Calhoun invited me to a reading by Deaf West, and here Cyrano's problem wasn't the nose. It was that he uh, that um, he was deaf and he thought that Roxanne wouldn't love him because he was mm-hmm. deaf. And Christiane was his brother. And they, of course, knew each other because they did sign language. And as a result, in that famous scene, Christiane was talking because Cyrano was doing sign language and giving him the eloquent stuff. So um, I ran up to Jim Nicola after it was over and I said, you must do this. And of course, you see how he listened to me anyway. So um, really, uh, Cyrano's uh, (laughs) message to her um, is quite sexual um, when he when he's um, giving all the information of uh, what should um, it's not just romantic um, love that he's talking about. He gets down to brass tacks about I'll undress you and all that kind of stuff. So it really, really, really is something. So um, if he can get through the first part of it, I will say this. Um, there were no Lindas in the audience that this audience was riveted. It was silent when it was supposed to be. It was laughing when it was supposed to. It was really with this show. So, um, really, I do believe that um, this is a show for an audience that's sophisticated, which Bam gets, and an audience that certainly wants to go out on a limb and see a classic totally redefined, because there will really be tremendous value if you stay with it. But boy, for those, when I saw Linda leaving for the door, I looked longingly after her at that point in time. <laughs> so don't get discouraged if indeed you do um, attend and um, enjoy the fact that we have Roxanne who would um, never wind up in a convent. Um, so that's Cyrano. Just to clarify, is there no, no mention of the nose? There's a tiny mention of the nose, but not a, not a big mention of it at all. So, I mean, is there any reason why we're supposed to believe that Cyrano, uh, you know, w- would be thought of as someone that she would never want to have a relationship with? Uh, my point is they don't dwell on it. It's mentioned, but it's not nearly the issue that it is in okay. the uh, original. 
It sounds it's interesting with between this and the Peter Dinklage production. I know, yeah, I thought of that too. <laughs> that whole thing has just gotten thrown out, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and um, I'm sorry to say, I heard that Peter Dinklage um, show is not uh, movie is not doing well. Mm. So, mm. oh, also in Brooklyn. Before we move on, <laughs> uh, I guess we could use that as our segue. We always like to let our listeners know, especially about free uh, productions, especially if they sound like they're going to be really good and. Um, we got a press release that Moliere and the Park, in partnership with Prospect Park Alliance and the Frac Center at Lakeside, will present a fully staged production of uh, Richard Wilbur's translation of Moliere's The Misanthrope, directed by uh, MIP's founding artistic director, Lucy T. Bergen. And a Tony and Obie Award winner, Gabriel Ebert. Uh, will be starring as Alceste, and the show that show is going to run May third through the twenty fifth, uh, opening on the fifteenth in a limited engagement at uh, Prospect Park's Lefrac Center in Brooklyn. Uh, and we will put a note in the show notes about that so you can find out more. But Gabriel Ebert is really terrific, and so I think that would sounds like reason alone uh, to check out this production. All right, thanks, Michael. Yes, I'll throw that in the sh- in the show notes, and we'll uh, if you would like to check it out, please do that. I want to tell you about a show I think that you'll enjoy: Play On Podcasts, epic audio adventures that reimagine Shakespeare's timeless tales, featuring original music composition and the voices of award-winning actors. Each episode explores plays from Macbeth to A Midsummer Night's Dream in a way that you can actually understand it and create it specifically for the podcast form by some of America's most exciting playwrights, directors, and composers, and performed by Stage and Screen's best. Check out their current season of King Lear that stars Emmy winner Keith David and Severed star Tramel Tillman. Hear Shakespeare like you've never heard it before. Subscribe to Play On Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Peter and Michael got over to the Roundabout Theater Company's production of Birthday Candles at the American Airlines Theater. So, Michael, why don't you get us started on Birthday Candles? Yeah, my impression was that this is a very good play by Noah Hadel that was hampered by uh, some major miscasting and also the fact that the, uh, I'm sad to say, I did not think that the leading actress was up to the role of the central role. Uh, Deborah Messing uh, plays a woman who we follow uh, through the years and we see her always on her birthday. And uh, there's a ritual that she she established by her mother who uh, leaves the action quite early on, but an established, uh, uh, a tradition established by her mother of, of baking the birthday cake. And uh, then once the mother's gone, then, then the woman, uh, Ernestine, takes over the tradition herself and makes her own birthday cake uh, every year. So um, it moves forward in time and uh, not, not at consistent intervals uh, at first i think maybe there's a there's only we move forward by one year and then uh but then sometimes we move forward by 10 years and sometimes it's five years or whatever um and it's a real it's a real opportunity for a, a tour de force by an actress with the wherewithal for it but i i mean i i really enjoyed deborah messing on will and grace i just don't think that she has the kind of technique for this 
type of role. Uh, for instance, it seemed to me that she really made almost no um, differentiation between the character's voice and body language as she got older um, until uh, we got to the latter part of the play. And then, sorry to say, um, she her old lady voice <laughs> reminded me of that character Granny from the Bugs Bunny cartoons. Nice. I mean, it, w- it was just just a very cartoonish, exaggerated old lady voice that you would hear anyone do as a joke. And um, and not only that, but she, you know, her her accent changed. <laughs> she, you know, through her, throughout the whole play, she had sounded just like a, uh, you know, a standard, I guess maybe uh, mid Atlantic or or even Midwestern uh, American accent, and then suddenly, when she was an old lady, she started to sound more British. So I don't think. I don't know how much work she put into it, but it really was kind of comical to me and, and really not effective at all. Uh, that said, um, I don't know what I would have done. I, I don't know how, you know, I, I think you need somebody really, really expert to to handle that kind of a transition. You you really would need somebody like a Meryl Streep in her younger days. And that's unfortunately not what they got. So I think that that was uh, a tremendous uh, detriment to the play, as, as you might imagine, to the production. Uh, and I would like to see it someday uh, with someone else uh, in the role who could handle it. Um, as I said, also, I did think that some of the other roles were, were very miscast and that didn't help either. Um, but I, I do have to give a shout out to, uh, an actor named Brandon J Pierce, who substituted for Christopher Livingston in the role of the double role of Billy and John, because he, uh, I mean, I don't know the the circumstances for Christopher Livingston's absence, but he was out, and uh, Brandon J. Pierce uh, really gave a superb performance, just pinch hitting for him. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how much rehearsal he would have had, uh, you know, as a as an understudy in a show that just opened. Uh, but whatever, he he really. Uh, he really just stepped up to the plate and, and hit it out of the park, I would say, uh, to use a, a metaphor from that other play we saw. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, so really all, all, all praise to him for doing that. It, uh, you know, th- there's been a lot of that lately with uh, lingering COVID cases, as we've, mm. as we've read, and some mm. shows even having to close down entirely for several performances. So he, uh, he allowed this show to go on and he did a superb job in the role also. And uh, so I'm, I'm really, uh, really impressed by him. And I think we're going to hear that name again, Brandon J. Pierce. All right, Peter, what'd you think? 
I agree with Michael entirely about Deborah Messing. Um, mm-hmm. at, and certainly um, as she did age, she was better. But there was, to me, no differentiation at all at the beginning of her getting older. If I hadn't read in advance that that's what the play was about, I don't even think I would have caught on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, this is the type of play where you would think that the writer, after working on it for a couple of months, would say, you know, essentially I'm writing Our Town. Um, yeah, it, it 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 is about the case about appreciating life, and life goes by, and there's nothing you can do about it, and uh, and the mini adventures that so many people uh, have. You know, she gets married, she has children, she has tragedies, um, both involving marriage and children. Uh, so they're very um, ordinary situations, but so are they in our town. But in our town, um, you have a stronger person uh, writing it. And uh, that's understandable. Thornton Wilder certainly was a genius and the rest of us aren't. But um, altogether, and Linda stayed for this one. Um, she did say <laughs> at the end, um, this is a two and a half star show. And I think that's fair. Um, I, I, very throughable. Uh, and uh, one does have to be moved by the fact that a guy who loves this woman from afar and she doesn't love him, which is a mistake, uh, turns out to be something that he does um, happily get in the end. Um, maybe a little too late in life, but nevertheless, uh, it does happen. So um, I was reminded of this. I was reminded of a place about 10 years ago called The Big Meal uh, that was done on Playwrights Horizons, which dealt with a number of the issues, too. So it's a bit of worn territory. Um, and I, I do appreciate the fact that Birthday Candles is a nice image. And I also love the fact that there's a goldfish on stage. Now, you might say, well, why is that such a big deal? But the point is, uh, as <laughs> the woman ages, she continues to have a goldfish, needless to say, <laughs> not the same goldfish. And I thought that was rather charming and a nice um, little detail that Thornton Wilde didn't think of. But by and large, Thornton Wilde thought of plenty that winds up in Birthday Candles. Thank you for mentioning the big meal. I was just about to add that. Were you really? Yes, it, it definitely thought of that play. I, I think that was a, a much better. I do well, too. a much better production, uh, first of all. And uh, you know, I'm, I, I would like to read this play, Birthday Candles, and see how I how it comes across to me on the stage because I just think it was hampered by her performance and some of the other miscasting. But also, thank you for mentioning uh, that character. We should say was is beautiful played by Enrico Colantoni, uh, the fellow who uh, eventually, after many, many years, gets what he wants. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he was not one of the miscast people in this play, as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what would Ivo Van Hove do with the uh, goldfish? Mm-hmm. What would Ivo Van Hove do with Cyrano? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is uh, Roundabout Theater Company's Birthday Candles at American Airlines Theater. It's uh, playing through May 29th, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Peter and Michael also got over to the Broadway Theater at 53rd Street to see The Little Prince, uh, an import from uh, Europe. So uh, let's see. Uh, Peter, why don't you go first on this one? Uh, this one, Linda stayed for the first act. Uh, and then that, that was the end of that. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, and again, I looked longingly at her as she walked up the aisle. Um, 
Well, uh, it really is a Cirque du Soleil show, uh, Cirque du Soleil light, really. But it's one of those things where these um, ropey type things come down from the ceilings, with those little hooks at the end. They put their hands in, they go up and down. And um, so uh, if you don't know the Little Prince story, you're not going to pick it up here, I don't think. Um, and uh, there is uh, a narrator. And the narrator, in fact, is somebody who is uh, certainly involved with this production since day one. I mean, uh, I believe that um, it was Chris Manoon's uh, perception and conception of doing this in this way. But, you know, I can only wear it's it's me. I can only wear, watch Cirque du Soleil for so long. And um, mm. especially when there's um, no that the narrative really doesn't help as much as it should. Um, there's also uh, a situation where there are many, many, many projections and there are many awards um, given now for projections. And I won't be surprised if little Prince gets none of them because I thought they weren't at all vibrant. Mm. I thought they were rather flat looking uh, the colors seemed washed out to me. Perhaps that was even a concept. I don't know, but I found this uh, pretty, pretty boring. All right, Michael, what do you think? I wanted to note, I, uh, when you come into the theater, there's a, a, a drop of show curtain, I guess you would call it, and it has the title of the uh, the play, and it notes that it's based on the book, um, and it says, Edition Gallimard, G-A-L-L-I-M-A-R-D, and I thought, oh, <laughs> is that any relation to the character in M. Butterfly? Uh, because... Sure. Because mm -hmm. that character in M. Butterfly, that is his real name of a, mm -hmm. a, a right. real life person. Uh, sure. And I thought that would, would have been an odd and wonderful little coincidence, you know, if, if they had anything to do with each other. <laughs> but uh, I looked it up and apparently not. I, I don't know how common the name Gallimard is in France, but mm. apparently it doesn't seem there was any relation. Uh, so. Uh, so once we got through that, uh, I mean, that was one of the most interesting things that happened to me, <laughs> you know, for me uh, in the show. I, I agree with with Peter and I suppose with Linda, uh, the <laughs> it's, it, you know, the, the book itself is beloved, but it's very strange. Uh, I mean, the story in the book itself is extremely symbolic and it's not linear and, it, and it's uh uh, not something that would lend itself well to any kind of a narrative uh, presentation. Uh, there have been many attempts uh, over the years to do it in, in several different forms. The best version of The Little Prince I ever saw, uh, for those who are interested, is that there's an opera by oh. Rachel by Rachel mm. Portman. Wow. And I saw it at City Opera years ago, and I absolutely loved it. Um, wow. The music is just beautiful. You might mm. want to check that out. Uh, mm. There was the, the famous or infamous 1974 film version uh, with Bob Fosse and Richard Kiley at all. Uh, Donna hmm. McKechnie plays the rose in that, I believe. Uh, and I've that never I, seen it. I've never seen it either. Oh, I, really? You know, I don't know if it's accessible. Um, yeah, I don't it either. It was a tremendous, tremendous flop. Um Oh, Alan. not as big a flop as the 19. <laughs> you know which one I'm talking about? The Little Prince and the Aviator, the the show that followed merrily. We roll along into mm. the uh, then Elvin Theater. Do you know about that one? 
No, and that, I guess, was such a big flop that I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> ah, it's a show that Michael York did. It was called The Little Prince oh, and the Aviator. Right. It's ringing now. Um, yeah. John Barry maybe did the music. You yeah. um, Wheeler did the book. And um, it closed uh, without opening. I saw it twice. Anyway, um, frankly, I lived near the Alvin Theater. And so um, I was walking by and they were doing a rehearsal. So I walked in. And um, they did the same number over and over and over again. Then I walked out and then I actually went to see it. And um, ironically enough, that number was cut. So um, uh, but it's the only number that stays with me because I saw it around five or six times. (laughs) Ironically enough, um, this is where I met Roger Gindy, who's a marvelous man of the theater, um, has done a lot of great work for a, a number of shows. And we didn't know each other. But anyway, it was it was something where it was so obvious that there was a song coming up. Um, the, the, the writing was just so pedestrian and setting up a song. And we were suddenly the person actually said, do you have a song for that? And, <laughs> I, and we just roared and we and that's where we bonded. You know, I mean, it, it and, you know, you wheeler, you wheeler, Sweeney Todd, a little wow. night music. Wow. You know, I mean, you can't be good at everything. And um, but um, this story has always left me at sea and um, right. it, it didn't change here either. Well, this current version, I, I think, is equally unsuccessful in different ways, unfortunately, and not no point in really belaboring it. For, yeah, I don't I think. agree. Uh, but I do want to say I, I kind of am amazed that the um, the title role uh, is is a huge role. Uh, he's on stage almost constantly and uh you know not just standing there i mean doing uh, choreography and and uh these the, these uh things they do with uh, straps that come down from the from the flies these this aerial work and 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 tumbling and things like that and he's he's in constant motion the the uh, the character of the little prince in the book is uh sort of maybe thought to be a, a young boy but here it's a you know, it's a uh, a man probably in his early 20s, I suppose. Anyway, uh, his name is Lionel Zalakas, and I can't believe that he does that uh, eight times a week and without uh, even an alternate listed. Isn't that kind of amazing to you? Peter? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 incredible. Uh, I can't believe there's not an alternate. If there ever a role needed an alternate. It's this one. So um, so if you do see it, you can marvel at him because he's really pretty marvelous. Uh, some of the reviews that I have seen around uh, uh, state that uh, if you are looking for a, really an acrobatic or a dance show or something, as Peter mentioned, like a Cirque du Soleil, you're going to have a really good time. If you're looking for a book show here, no, no, pr- no. probably yeah. not going to yeah. be the feeling. Yeah. Um, Adam Feldman wrote in his review uh, that um, the last time they tried to put The Little Prince on Broadway in 1982, it closed in previews, and that it's hard to adapt as this production proves. So... Uh, you know, the other thing, too, is a lot of people brought a lot of kids and mm. I, I, I hope they read the book mm. um, because I don't think they would have been able to figure out what was going on at all. Well, and this one re- relies we didn't even mention on uh, copious narration delivered by uh, this very, I guess you would say, androgynous woman uh, in, in a yes. very thick, very, very thick, thick very French thick. accent to the mm. point where they do have um, 
titles <laughs> yeah, projected right. yeah. on the side of the stage, uh, either side of the stage. So you can, uh, you know, refer to those if you want to understand every word she's saying. But then, of course, that takes your eyes off of what's happening on stage. So that's a little annoying, too. All right. So that is the uh, Little Prince at the Broadway Theater. It's playing through August, so they say. So they say. Uh, so they say the uh, tickets, uh, ticket sales have not been uh, um, very strong for good this. The word, good the word you're looking for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, it, it's so tough these days. Um, you know, e- even if uh, if a production is struggling at this time of the year, uh, so many other things want to come in, and the Broadway sure. is such a such mm-hmm. an important house, and musicals are all looking to come in. So uh, I wonder if it'll make it through past the Tonys, uh, the Tony Awards, or something along those lines. Yeah, but on that note, and maybe this is tremendously obvious to say, but I don't think this show would probably be there at all if it wasn't for COVID, because I think there was a lack of things that were ready to go. Mm -hmm. uh, And this was something that was ready to go. And so that's why that happened. Mm -hmm. Mm. All right. So, uh, Peter, you made your way uh, downtown to see uh, Harmony, the new... um Barry Manilow, I shouldn't say the new because it's no, not you really can't. No, you really can't. can't. Say no. I mean, he fully admits that indeed um, he's been working on this for twenty five years. Well, obviously not um, <laughs> always. <Constantly. laughs> yeah. yeah, but because um, he certainly has a, a different career. But um, this is something that's obviously near and dear to his heart. Though I've always wondered. Um, I, I would imagine Barry Manilow has a good deal of money, and I've often wondered why he simply didn't put up the money himself to uh, have this show on Broadway. Well, uh, I think it's terrific, but it, it is very painful. Um, this is about the comedian harmonists, a real group that in the 30s was astonishingly successful, astonishingly successful. And uh, they came to America during the time when the Nazis were taking power. And considering what was happening, many of them thought they should stay here. Hmm. One of their members did not, and he convinced them to go back. And wow, what a mistake that was. My friend Josh Ellis, who was the um, press rep at La Jolla when indeed this played La Jolla, thought it was phenomenal then and thinks it's phenomenal now, but brought up a point that really is, um, I would say, inaccurate in the best sense of the word. He said, for the final 15 minutes, that audience was so wrapped in attention. It was as if it could not breathe. It was just so engrossed in the story. No, for the last half hour, that's what was happening. It was amazing. The tension that was in that house as we were so wrapped up in these lives of these people. Now, not all of them were Jewish, but indeed the ones who were Jews were starting to um, get worried and with good reason. And there's a surprise too, that happens among the harmonists that um, even they don't know themselves. One of the great lines comes when um, they are told that they are not going to be able to perform tonight. And they have groupies. I mean, there are women who are crazy for them. You know, really Beatles, um, you know, all that stuff. So uh, one of them comes up and says, oh, oh I'm, I'm so looking forward to tonight. It's going to be great. And um, the gentleman says, no, we've been canceled. And she says, oh, because of the Jews. And he says, no because of the Germans. And that's <laughs> right. That's right. Indeed. All right. A great 
performance, no other word will do, by Chip Sign. Phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. He is our narrator. He's uh, a surviving harmonist who's looking back on what happened. He tells us the story. And he has a tremendous 11 o'clock number, but long before 11 o'clock, you are going to be so impressed. Now, of course, most of us know him from Into the Woods. I've been a fan since 1978 when he did In Trousers, still one of the greatest nights I've ever had in the theater with the unknown Alison Frazier and the unknown Mary Testa, for that matter, um, doing the unknown William Finn's music. I mean, so um, he's always wonderful, but this is the apotheosis. This is uh, the greatest role he's ever been given. And yes, I have seen Into the Woods. This is the greatest role he's ever been given, and he is certainly up to it. Um, he also has to play a, a couple of uh, tiny little roles here and there in other um, <laughs> in other guises. I'm going to leave it at that. And uh, he's wonderful at that, too. Very endearing. But boy, does he tell the story well. And oh, oh, he sings magnificently. He is possessed by this show. But so am I. And um, I hope it moves. It's amazing to me that it hasn't on one level because it's so good. And it's not amazing to me on another level because I'm not sure that a lot of people are going to be comfortable watching this story and be glad that they saw it because it is tough, tough. So, but it's wonderful. I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I've, I've been hearing recordings of it forever <laughs> you know uh various um various different uh promo recordings and uh demo recordings of it uh since Patrick Wilson was doing it back in the day and Brian Darcy uh, James Brian Darcy Andy James Burstein, yeah. Alan Lazar yeah we got a million of them so I'm looking really forward to actually seeing the production uh and it's interesting what you say about it. It's it's tough, Peter, because uh, that doesn't fare well for a commercial run on in a Broadway house. I know, I know. But, Especially uh, you know tourists who come to town and want to have a good time. You know, this is not the show for them. Yeah. The uh, and then we just heard that the Kinky Boots is going into the Little Schubert, uh, which could bring uh, a, a nice musical into there, but. Uh, We'll have to see how this fares. Uh, Michael, when are you going to go, or are you scheduled to go? Yeah, this week. Uh, this week? Yeah. All right. So I'm sure we'll be talking about this again in the future pretty soon. Hmm. Uh, Michael, you got down to see your uh, your friends, Debbie Gravitt and Stephen Schwartz over at Birdland <laughs> uh, and, uh, on April 11th. So tell us what you think of this uh, Birdland show. Well, I wish they were friends, but they're yeah. people that I admire really well. <laughs> it was a terrific show. Uh, this is the first of the three that Debbie is doing, as she uh, told us when she was on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, where she sits down and talks with a, a really great artist. And then uh, then there's some performance involved as well. Uh, so this is the this was the first one with the great Stephen Schwartz. And she has coming up, um, she's going to be with Mark Shaman and then with Harvey Feierstein. But this, this was terrific. Uh, Debbie started out actually, um, she didn't sing all of Defying Gravity, but she sang little snippets of it. And she told the story about how she came to be the first person to ever sing the song. Uh, but Stephen was 
basically had just completed it. Uh, so that was, that was really fun to hear. And she, uh, she sang uh, w- with him and, and solo uh, several numbers. I, th- I think maybe the highlight was the waitress song from working. Uh, mm. She did that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, then Stephen himself sang as a solo uh, and accompanied himself on the piano for that beautiful song chanson mm, from the is. baker's wife. Mm. Uh, and then uh, Debbie's other guests were pretty terrific. Uh, her son, Sam Gravitt, uh, who brought along, uh, he, he is currently playing Fiero in Wicked on Broadway. And he brought along the woman who's currently playing Elphaba and her hmm. name is Lindsay Pierce. And, but they did not sing the, the duet from Wicked. Instead, they sang Love Song from Pippin, hmm. one of my favorites uh, from that it. score. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Sam accompanied them on guitar and then the uh, pianist Mark Hartman uh, played as well. Um, and then uh, the other guest was Judy Kuhn, mm. who sang Colors of the Wind from oh, Pocahontas yeah. with lyrics by Stephen Schwartz and music by his pal and tennis partner, Alan Menken. <laughs> 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 so it was a great night because Debbie is, as we mentioned, she's just so engaging and so funny and she can really sit down and talk with people uh, and make them feel comfortable like Seth Rudetsky does in his shows, in his similar shows. Um, so I was very glad I was there and uh, keep, uh, keep the future ones on your calendars because I think they'd be well worth attending. Mark Shaman in particular has so much going on now, uh, really great stuff. So I think that's going to probably be a very interesting evening. All right. So I have the uh, the other two shows in the show notes. We have Mark Shaman, May 9th, and Harvey Firestein, September 12th. Uh, all, th- all of those are over at Birdland, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. I also found um, a YouTube video of uh, Debbie and Stephen uh, performing there. So if you want to head over to the show notes, you can watch that as well. Oh, I wanted to put in a quick plug for this coming uh, Sunday because uh – I mean, not tomorrow, but next week, the 24th, uh, because it'll be too late for our next podcast to mention it. But um, Stephen Brinberg is uh, on that night, uh, the 24th. Uh, that night is not only <laughs> opening night of the new production of Funny Girl on Broadway. It is also Barbara Streisand's birthday, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I don't know quite you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg. And <laughs> but, um, but I think that's so interesting that, that those two things are happening the same night. And meanwhile, at 54 below Feinstein's 54 below uh, Stephen will be doing his 80th birthday. It's because it's going to be Streisand's 80th birthday. That's right. And so he's doing a show called 80 girls, 80. <laughs> <laughs> and because it's such a special occasion, he has some really great guests lined up. He has Tova Felcher. And he has Ramona Mallory, uh, who was Anne in the most recent Broadway production of A Little Night Music and is the daughter of the original Anne, Victoria Mallory, and the original uh, Henrik, <laughs> Mark Lambert. And then uh, Stevens, uh, uh, one of his other guests is going to be this really superb young talent that I talked about a f- few months ago when he was in that Dorian Corey 
play and his name is Spencer Gonzalez. So I think that's going to be a really, really fun night at Feinstein's 54 below. All right. So I will dig up that and put that in the show notes as well. Thanks. Um, Peter and Michael, uh, I don't know uh, if you ever, uh, you know, deal with or work with or or socially know uh, uh, casting directors, but uh, one of the big oh, ones yeah. just yeah. passed Jay away. Bender. Thank yeah. you for bringing it up. Yes, yeah. just yesterday, yeah. Jay Bender. Jay Bender died, and he's a, he was a casting director. Uh, a lot of folks don't uh, understand what casting directors do. They're, they are the people that are uh, help producers find the right talents to cast cast a show. Uh, they hold general auditions for long-running shows all the while or in development in any any point at which a producer says, I have this show and I need to find the right person for it. This is what a casting director does. And Jay uh, was just one of the tops in the business. He worked on Chicago, Lion King, Neil Simon Plays. He worked on the uh, the Encore series. He, you know, anywhere that you saw shows, you could somehow find some way that Jay Bender was uh, lending his talent to it. And he just passed away at the age of 71. Uh, it's a huge loss for Broadway. And um, people don't talk enough about casting directors. And I just wanted to mention that. I've seen a lot of testimonials to him on my Facebook. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Apparently he, you know, the, to hear these people talk about it, he was a real mensch. He really mm-hmm. was. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right. So that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to our musical moment and trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link that we each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, uh, it'll be automatically downloaded to you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get to us. iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. If you want to get a transcript of this or any episode on uh, Broadway Radio, email us at transcripts at broadwayradio.com and we will send you back a transcript of that. Please include the episode name so that we can really uh, find the right episode for you because <laughs> uh, that becomes a problem yes. if you say send me that episode about Wicked yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know we might have 30, 40, 50 mm-hmm. different mentions of Wicked and that's how that goes because Wicked is so awesome and, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and Stephen Schwartz too. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, Peter, what do we have for uh, an answer for last week's trivia? A much anticipated musical that was dope on Broadway in the 1990s didn't turn out to be the hit that everyone had expected. Considering a spectacular failure, shortening the show's five word official title official title, mind you, to its first three words would result in an inadvertent comment on its fate. What's the musical's official title? And it's abbreviated one. My favorite guest came from Sean Logan, who said a grand night for singing, a grand night. No, Sean, a grand night for singing was not a grand night. And not only that, it wasn't a much anticipated musical. No, the I'm looking for Annie to Miss Hannigan's Revenge. OK, uh, it was fully expected to be as big a hit as Annie one, so to speak. It closed in Washington on January 22nd, 1990. The official title was Annie to Miss Hannigan's Revenge. But if you drop the two final words, you get Annie to Miss 
And it did indeed <laughs> miss in Washington, the only place that this version played. Tony Janicki was the first to get it after sending so many guesses that I'm surprised that both of our computers didn't crash. <laughs> Isaac Blevins, Josh Israel and Brigadoon only needed two guesses before they came up with the answer. I hope that one of them will offer Mr. Janicki a course called how to succeed at guessing without overdoing it. All right. This <laughs> week's question. What character in a Tony winning musical has a first name of Leonora? All right. If you have a guess there, email us at trivia at broadreviewedia.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. That's so funny because, as Peter probably knows, there were like three or four operas that have <laughs> leading <laughs> characters named Leonora. And that was, a, that was a, one of the funniest jokes ever on the TV version of The Odd Couple. <laughs> you know, I've brought this question up to some people and I, they've mentioned The Odd Couple. Yes, indeed. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, we just mentioned that Barbara Streisand is turning 80. And in case that's not enough to give many of us pause, uh, mm. Joel Gray just turned 90. Mm. So our opening song was Willkommen from Cabaret uh, from the original Broadway cast recording uh, to as a tribute to Mr. Gray. And it's so uh, interesting to compare his performance on that recording with his performance in the film and the film soundtrack uh, to see how they, how the performance evolved and also how it changed uh, from one medium to the other. But in whatever medium, Joel Gray was a really great artist, is a really great artist and uh, still out there doing it now, mostly as a director, I guess. <laughs> um, so bravo to him. He is, he is really just the greatest. And our closing moment is a uh, uh, tribute to Marilyn May, who uh, is ending her most recent engagement at Feinstein's 54 Below this evening uh, at seven, uh, her two week run there. Uh, I got to see her the other night and she was, you know, uh, I, I realized I, I tend to refer to Marilyn as phenomenal, but you, you can't really use that word uh, because it means highly extraordinary, exceptional, but she's so consistently exceptional that she's not exceptional. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, I guess, I guess compared to other people, uh, to other performers, she is, and especially at age 94, uh, which uh, birthday this uh, run celebrates. But um, so I guess, yeah, maybe I can, still keep calling her phenomenal and mean it that way. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, her recorded output is prodigious over the decades. Uh, and there were so many songs I could choose for our musical moment to end this podcast, but I, I thought I would pick um, come rain or come shine because uh, she is performing that in her current show, but also she recorded it many years ago. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just really something to uh, hear her still singing so well songs that she recorded decades, many decades ago. Um, so that is our, our closer, uh, a really beautiful song, come rain or come shine show tune. Um, <laughs> and uh, thanks for Marilyn to Marilyn that she keeps coming back. Uh, if you can't get over to, uh, if you can't run over to Feinstein's 54 below uh, by 7 p.m. tonight, uh, you know, just check out when for when she'll be back because she she will be, I'm sure. All right. So on behalf 
of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia. This is James Marino saying, happy birthday, Kelly O'Hara. <laughs> Another birthday. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. together unhappy together and won't it be just fine baby is maybe cloudy or sunny we're in or we're out of the money but i'm with you always i'm with you rain or shine yes i'm with you always what a world what a life I'm in love